called TMT. For those of you who are visiting today, by the way, welcome to you. If you're in town visiting a family, just so glad you could be here. And glad you're not on the roads traveling today. Um, we have a special TMT today. Those of you who have been here, over the last four weeks, we call them Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. We've been looking at four portraits of Jesus, not as a baby in a manger, not as Jesus meek and mild as, as sometimes he's spoken about, but as our great and cosmic king who's coming again to put everything right. And so Jeannie has painted four portraits, and she's going to come up and explain those to us to kind of wrap up Advent as we step into the Christmas holiday. So thank you, Jeannie, for your painting and for speaking to us today. Good morning. Um, I have to say when Nathan first approached me to do this, my brain was going, oh, no, 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 no. But what came out of my mouth was, sure, I could do that. <laughs> um, but it was such an honor. And through the process, God was so faithful to reveal himself um, as to what this would look like and even just the guidance that I had. And the first week, um, for those of you that were here, we started out with the, the four words. So there was hope, faith, joy, and peace. And those are the in the realm of the church. Those are the words that were assigned for each week of Advent. So in the first portrait, um, hope, which was actually painted, the word was painted in green, um, because the color green means hope, charity, and eternal life. And hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for certain things to happen. And our hope is in Jesus, that um, through his death and resurrection, um, the verse for that was, he's called the key holder, out of Revelation 1, 12 through 20. But our hope is in the future that we have in him, because he holds for us the key of death and, and Hades. So our hope is in that eternal resurrection. And through Revelation, there is so much Im imagery, and it was just like kind of overwhelming me. And what I felt the Lord say to me was that it's about the hand, the hand of God, and just kind of researching everything and praying through it. Hands are mentioned over 1,800 times in the Bible. And 39 times the hand of the Lord, and 16 times the hand of God. And he showed me that the hand is like an invitation. When you go to meet somebody, like, hi, I'm Jeannie. I would really like to get to know you. Or if you pull a chair out for somebody, please come, have a seat. I invite you to sit with me, to get to know me. And that is what God is doing through all of this. His hand is reaching out for each one of us to say, here, I'm here for you. Come up. And in the second week, um, the word was faith. And that was painted in blue. And blue um, represents faithful, grace, truth, and divine revelation. 
and faith, the word is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And God is inviting us to put our complete faith in him, knowing that despite what happens, this is out of um, Revelation 5, verses 1 through 14, where the hand of God was holding the scroll. And who is worthy to open that scroll? And it was the lamb who was slain. And depicted in this is also the harp and the bowl, which is, I kind of had to put that one in there, because we have an event here every Monday night called Harp and Bowl, where we lift up prayer and petition and worship unto our Lord. And the colors in the background there represent once the seals, the seven seals are opened on the scroll, they represent the horses of destruction that are coming. The white horse, the black horse, the red horse, and the pale horse. Um, which is a difficult time for those who do not believe in the salvation power of Jesus, who don't have faith in him. The white horse means power and conquest, which is kind of the enemy coming in over our lives. Black represents economic disruption. War is Red is war and strife, and the pale horse is disease and death, which kind of strikes a little bit of truth in what we're going through right now, but I believe that's nothing compared to what will come. And so the next portrait, um, week three, was joy. And joy was done in gold, and that means holiness of God, holiness of life, joy, and spiritual enlightenment. Joy means the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And I really wrestled with this one. And what you see is the hand of Jesus. That week was out of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, which talked about the resurrection power, what we as a body of believers have to look forward to, the joy of knowing that because of Christ dying on the cross, we have that hope of the future of being with him in heaven. So what is here is like the hand of Jesus reaching down to take hold of us. And that was the power of the resurrection, which is the tomb. And the trumpets are blasting and the angels are rejoicing and shouting. But when I was doing that, I just struggled with, like, the lack of color. And so I was like, okay, what can I do? What do I put in? What do I add? And I'm just like, Lord, you know, I don't get this. And I was actually on my way back to the church, and I was thinking I was going to add something more to it. And what I felt like the Lord saying is like, do you think that after all that destruction, after all that we, well, not we, but those in the world will witness at that time, do you think things are going to be pretty? Do you think there's going to be life? And I was just like, I just felt this peace come over me. And I'm like, it's finished. So I didn't add anything. But just that process of, you know, asking God. If we ask him, he will show himself faithful and reveal to us 
what we need to know or what we, we think we need to add to things, but he's already done it. So the joy in the resurrection power. And the fourth week is peace. And that is out of Revelation 19, 11 through 12. And that was the victorious judge. And the word there was, peace was written in purple. Um, purple means kingship, kingdom authority, nobility, and power. But the, the picture that was painted in that really was like nothing that had to do with peace because Jesus was coming on his white horse just, and it was a destructive power and force that he was coming in. He wasn't at that time coming in peace, but he was coming to bring that peace. And peace is a state of mutual harmony, security, and calmness. Everything in perfect harmony. And so here he is depicted on his white horse with his robe soaked in blood. And all through the Revelation scriptures, it always talks about Jesus coming with hair as white as wool, with fire in his eyes, with the, the sword coming out of his mouth. But the only thing that changed was here he is dressed in white. And in the end, the final judgment, he's coming in a robe soaked in blood, which doesn't sound like a pretty picture. But that means the death and the destruction of the enemy of this world. So I just want to, you know, thank you for your encouragement that I had in this. And, and even in this, as I was digging in and studying Revelation, just the overwhelming presence of God, because that's what he wants from us. He wants us in his word, learning about him, knowing about him, understanding him. The Bible's not just a book to read and say, yeah, I read my Bible. He wants you to dig deep. He wants you to come near to him. And one way through all of this that, you know, because Revelation is a very difficult book to understand. And I standing in the line at Hobby Lobby shortly after Nathan gave me this little project, <laughs> um, I came across this book called Revealing Revelation. And it's by Amir Sarfati, who, is, who actually lives in Jerusalem. He is Jewish. And it was just brought a lot of understanding to what I, from a Jewish perspective, to the symbolism in the Bible. Oops, not there. But there was just one part in here that I just want to read. In the end, when that final judgment is coming, we need to know that we are truly in line with the will of God. And this, the writer of Hebrews wrote, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You have a choice. You can either fall into the hands of the living God or you can fall into the arms of the loving Savior. You can continue to rebel and turn your back on the Lord's salvation. Or you can accept the free gift that he is holding out to you. Enduring tribulation is a choice. By closing this book without dealing with your eternal standing with God, you are making that choice. His arms are open 
He's inviting you in. There's that hand. He's inviting you in. Surrender to him. Accept his love and forgiveness. Receive his salvation. Live for him. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jeannie. Uh, thank you for blessing us with your gift and your talent uh, for artwork. We are going to read the scriptures now. And you could stay there if you want, since we're in the round. This morning I'll be reading um, Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her. In Matthew 1, 18 to 25, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put at her shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Luke 2, 1 through 20. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddled cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of God shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel there with and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. All right. Um, I need a volunteer to pass out some stickers. This is one of my first kids' sermons. I'm always kind of... You know, we got the kids with us today, and so I'm always jealous of pastors that get to do kids' sermons like every week. Did anybody grow up with kids' sermons? Like, that's, that's a fun time. And we don't do kids' sermons here, so, and I don't get to teach in the back very often, so this is going to be my shot at a kids' sermon. I have some, um, some superhero stickers. Jeannie, would you mind passing those around? And you qualify as a kid if you think you are a kid, all right? So I don't know what age that is, but you get some superhero stickers today. So kids, I want to start off with a question for you. What is your favorite superhero of all time? Your favorite superhero of all time. Let me hear it. Just shout it out. Spider-Man, I heard. What's that? Percy Jackson? That's awesome, Eden. You're going to have to explain that to me afterwards. I don't even know who that is. Okay, other ones. Batman? Thor? What's that? Star-Lord. Okay. Awesome. Wonder Woman. Yes. Somebody's got to say Wonder Woman, right? Yeah, we got to have Wonder Woman in there. Absolutely. Well, you're going to get some superhero stickers, kids. So um, you can put those on your Bible. Hopefully, maybe remember today's talk. We're going to be talking a little bit about our great superhero, that Jeannie has just talked about and that we've been learning about for several weeks now. Because you know, Christians have a superhero that we love and adore too, right? Can anybody tell me what his name is? That's right. It's Jesus. Our superhero is Jesus. Now, um, obviously, Jesus differs from the superheroes that we just mentioned in several different ways. The main way being that he's not a fictional character. He's actually real. He's actually alive. He actually did all those things that we read about in the Bible. Now, as Jeannie talked about here, the grown-ups have been looking at superhero Jesus, that we could call him, for the last four weeks or so. 
We've been marveling at his superpowers, that he can literally do anything. There is nothing he can't do. He, can, um, he holds the keys to death, like Jeannie was saying. He can open God's great future to us. He's going to reunite us in the resurrection, raise all our bodies. He's coming to destroy Satan, sin, and death, all of God's enemies, and put everything right in the end. He's really, really, really powerful, and that's great news for us, right? We've been spending a lot of time on that. That is really, really good news for us. But Christmas is a unique time because at Christmas, we're not so much looking at Jesus the powerful, Jesus the superhero, but we're looking at Jesus and how he uses one of his most unique superpowers. It's the superpower to become small, the superpower to become weak, to become helpless, now, can you imagine Batman doing that? Can you imagine Spider-Man using his power to become weak, helpless? Well, Jesus was on a special rescue mission to rescue each of us, and what was required of him was to become small, helpless, vulnerable, a little baby. Now, I'm going to teach you a big word here, kids, and this is a really important word in Christianity it's the word to describe, or it's the word that stands for what Jesus did at Christmas time when he used his superpower to become really small. Does anybody know what that word is? The word that means Jesus became a human? Extra, point, extra stickers if you get this, kids. It's the word, what's that? Yes, incarnation. Where's the stickers? He, that young man gets extra stickers. Way to go. Incarnation, yes. It means he literally took on flesh. He became a human. Isn't that crazy? He became like one of us. So how small did Jesus become? Well, if you think about it, he became the size of a single cell. One single cell in the womb of a Jewish teenage woman's body. That's our God. That powerful Jesus became that small. He was microscopic. You couldn't even see him with the naked eye. That's how small Jesus became. He was what we call in biology terms a zygote, right? Angela knows what I'm talking about. We were biology majors. I'm finally getting to use that today. Uh, it's been a long time since I've used anything from that background. That was a lot of work for this one moment in this one sermon. But he was a zygote. That's what we call a fertilized egg. He was one single cell inside his mother's womb. And then, of course, that one cell, he became many cells, and then he, he grew arms and legs and a nose and mouth and developed in his mother's womb just like you all did when you were babies. And then after nine months, in a little rural town called Bethlehem, Jesus was born as a human baby and was laid in a manger. Not really the place you would expect a great superhero to show up, right? But that's what happened. Now, kids, you might be asking, why in the world, Pastor Dave, is this good news that our great superhero, Jesus, became small, weak, helpless, vulnerable? Why is the incarnation good news at all? Well, the Bible actually says it's some of the best news for us. And there's three big ideas I want to look at this morning. Why is the incarnation good news for you? Well, it's good news because it means God gets us. It's good news because it means God is with us. And it's good news because it means God loves us. God gets us, God is with us, and God loves us. So here we go, just for a couple minutes. First of all, God gets us. You know, there's an old saying, you don't know someone really until you've walked a mile in their shoes, right? 
You just don't know until you've experienced what they've experienced, until you've been through the things that they've been through. You don't really know that person. Well, Jesus has walked a mile in our shoes. He became one of us. He became a human. So he gets us. God gets what it's like to be in your shoes. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 says this. Therefore he, meaning Jesus, had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus became like us in every way except for sin. That's really, really good news. That means your God understands you in a way that nobody else's God could ever, right? So here's the deal. If you're struggling financially here today, as lots of people in our nation are, remember this. Jesus was poor. He was born into a blue-collar Jewish family. When, they, when Joseph and Mary offered sacrifices at the temple, they brought two turtle doves, the lowest on the totem pole. They had very, very little. Jesus says later on in his ministry, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless. Jesus gets it. He understands. He was poor. If you're struggling today with depression or anxiety, remember that Jesus gets it. He understands what that's like. Uh, remember that part uh, in the Gospels where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Jesus felt the darkness that you feel. He understands. He's been there. He's done that. He got the t-shirt, right? He's been a human just like we are. He gets it. If you're struggling with broken relationships, you know, the holidays are a wonderful time of year, but don't they also magnify our pain with relationships? Relationship pain can be very, very difficult around the holidays. Those relationships that are strained or distant or broken. And Jesus understands that. Remember, Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was denied three times by one of his nearest and dearest, Peter. Jesus understands the pain that humans go through in relationships. If you're struggling with temptation today, maybe there's a sin struggle that you've just been battling and you've given into it over and over and over again. And you're like, the last person I want to talk to is perfect Jesus. You know, he never sinned. He doesn't get it. But actually the Bible says he does. It says in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way that we are except without sin. So Jesus isn't up there looking down on you. He's not up there going, oh, those morons. They keep, you know, they just keep messing up. He's up there saying, I get it. I felt the power of that temptation. I've, I've felt the struggle that you're in. And he's not looking down on you. He's the place to run to. Your God understands you. He became like you in every way except for sin. That's really good news this Christmas morning that God gets us. Whatever you're dealing with, Jesus walked a mile in your shoes. He understands us, but that's not all. The incarnation means that God is with us. It doesn't mean just that God gets us. It means he's with us. And the big word we use for this at Christmas time is what? Emmanuel. Yes. Susan, you get stickers too. Emmanuel. God is with us, right? Now, obviously, God had been with his people in certain ways in the Old Testament with the Israelites through the tabernacle, which was a tent that held his presence, and then the temple, 
But the incarnation marked the first time that God came to be with his people in a way they could interact face to face. Jesus was God's presence with his people in a new way, and it marked a time where his presence would never leave them ever again. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but Jesus died, rose again from the dead, and then ascended into heaven, so wouldn't that mark the end of Emmanuel? But remember, Jesus said before he left, he said, it's actually better that I go so that I can send the Holy Spirit, the helper, who will come to be with you. And send the helper Jesus did. And now, it's not as if we have God walking side by side as we did when Jesus was on the earth. It's as if we have God right inside of us, living in us. That's the scenario we have now. And of course, Jesus promises he's going to come again. He's going to put everything right, and he will live on the earth with us forever. It's really good news. The incarnation means God is with us, never to leave us again. So God gets us, God is with us, and then finally God loves us. You know, kids, one of the ways you know someone loves you is what they're willing to do for you, right? And kids, I got to be honest with you, even on your parents' worst, most grumpiest days, they do a ton for you, right? They, they do a ton for you. Your parents love you so much, they're willing to wake up with you in the middle of the night. Um, they love you so much, they're willing to sacrifice their dreams, put those things on hold for you. They cancel all their plans when you're sick. They come get you from school. Your parents love you so much, and you know this deep down. They bend their lives around you. They, they work really hard to make sure you have everything that you need. But also, you know deep down, if it came down to a situation where your life was in jeopardy, jeopardy there's nothing your parents wouldn't give to protect you, even their own life. You know they would die for you, right? They love you that much. And that's precisely what the incarnation tells us as well. That's what Christmas shows us. See, friends, Jesus became a human not just to live among us, not just to teach us, but he became a human to take our place, to take our sin upon himself on the cross. Because only a human could take the sin for other humans, right? So Jesus became a human to become our substitute, to become our sacrifice. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. How do you know God loves you? Look at what he was willing to give for you. The father held nothing back, not even his own son. Jesus held not, nothing back, not even his own life. He loved you that much. Brothers and sisters, this is really good news. This is the good news of the incarnation. God gets us. God is with us. God loves us. Amen? Let's pray and let's sing about it again. Our Father, we thank you for this Christmas day. We thank you that this miracle is true. You became one of us. And that means so many wonderful things for us. Help us to grab hold of those by faith today. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.